Welcome, everyone, through all time and space to an all-new episode of Weebs on the Weekends, a podcast where we break down the anime news highlights of the week and give a retrospective look at anime that premiered 10 years ago. On today's episode, we'll be covering the news from the first week of December 2020 and give our thoughts on whether the first three episodes of the 2010 anime Star Drivers makes us expect or suspect the rest of the series. My name is Jay Johnson, I'm a part-time weeb and full-time automail mechanic. No, I'm not, because I'm an English language sensei. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Sam Martinez, part-time weeb, and he's the full-time automail mechanic. How are you doing today, Sam? Magdan Gabi, Guru Johnson. Como esta acá? Como Wow, okay. Mungabi. I'm pretty sure I know Mungabi. I think it's definitely, I'm pretty sure it's African, but... Mungabi, I think that's Nigerian. So I'm going to go with uh, it's Nigerian. We don't want a hint. Oh, do I need a hint because I got it wrong already? Okay. <laughs> uh, yes, give me a hint. Okay, let's. It's another island slash Polynesian nation that would be over here, closer to the U.S. So I would say it would be over there near Hawaii, similar to I think it was the last episode or the episode before that. All right, so totally off on the opposite side of two oceans. All right, cool. <laughs> okay, let's see. Uh, Polynesian language. Um, hmm. It says by the uh, archipelago of Hawaii. Oh, wow. And we did like some of the, like, not sub-languages of, uh, Aust- not Australia, but uh, Hawaii. So, oh, I actually don't know many Hawaiian languages other than, like, of the... Um, I guess not Polynesian, but also the like Indonesian languages. So I actually I, don't I, know. I would say if if you want one more hint, this may be a little bit more of an in the cut info. Whereas with this language, if you hear it in its entirety, you definitely hear a influence from several different other languages. For instance, there are times when I've heard people speak this and I would think that they were speaking Spanish only to find out that it's a totally different language just with huge Spanish influences in it. Oh no, yeah, cuz like Hawaii is probably is like widely known for like mixing in cultures, so yeah, there's like lot, I mean I just know about the cuisine of Hawaii more than languages. So I actually don't know Sam, can you tell me? Yes, it is the Filipino language. Oh so, my gosh, I should have guessed it. Why did you say Hawaii? I should have guessed Filipinos. I'm sorry, are, aren't they out there in that j- same area? Or oh my gosh. I'm just messing know. you up on geography, aren't, aren't I? You're an alien. You don't know what the planet Earth looks like. Because you said, yeah, last time you said like Jakarta and where I live is like really close together. And that is terribly yeah, I, not I didn't true. Say close together. I just said it was what? Just like south. East of you? <laughs> yeah, it's very much like how Miami is south of Toronto. <laughs> yes. That's not okay. wrong. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but yes. Okay, so I, I've heard Filipino before, and I was like, oh, okay, so, I mean, you're giving me geography mixed confusion here. Okay, yes, tell me something about Filipino. Okay, so, again, the Filipino language, it's the national langu- language for the Philippines, and I'm trying to see when this was done. I think it was around 2007. There is around 45 million people that speak it. And uh, Tagalog is their first native language, which there's 28 million people who speak it. And <laughs> I'm just showing you, there is, there is a, there is a, Tagalog? Tagalog. Tagalog. Okay, um, my apologies. It's spelled like tag along. I know. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> so that's that's the native language, and a third of that population is twenty-eight million. So it's just a lot of people. And tag along is among one hundred eighty-five languages that are used in the Philippines. So it's just showing you just how diverse and how many people are in this language, and. Uh, they were saying that Filipino is officially taken to be a plural-centric language as it further enrich and develop the other existing Philippine languages, according to the mandate of the 1987 Constitution. And let's see, there have been 
observed emerging varieties, so different dialects and different grammatical properties of the original Tagalog language. And uh, let's see, it's something about, uh, let's see, there's a Cebu, Davao City, and Iloli, Iloili? Iloili, I think it's how it's, uh, I don't know, it's spelled I-L-O-I-L-O. And uh, with Metro Manila, it forms the fourth largest metropolitan areas in the Philippines. So just saying, letting you know like where it is in uh, in regards to its population density, words being used. And I didn't realize how many people lived in the Philippines. So that that was interesting. All right, cool. Yeah, say it with me, Tent, Sam. Tagala. Tagala. What's, 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 what's log there then? Or is the LOD silent? <laughs> Yeah, it's like Tagalog. Tag, yeah. Like it's pretty Tagalog, Tagalog, but it's Tagalog. It's like Tagalog. Tagalog. Yeah. Anyways, okay. you think that we're getting down to pronunciation, but yeah. All right, cool. I've heard this language before, and I don't know why I was like. I guess I'm really not listening to your enunciation on these words now, because like Mugabe yeah. is obviously like Filipino, and I was like, that's not Nigerian, because I'm thinking of Mugabe as in the general Mugabe in the um. And oh, where is he? The Congo? But anyways, yeah. see, now I'm getting history of words. But, but anyways. Yeah, I, I was just saying the like the Spanish influence, uh, the Kumosta, right? That's yeah. something that they would say as high. But if you listen to it really quickly, it sounds like Kumosta, where it's like, how are you? So mm. no, that that's that's where it trips me up a little bit. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. A lot of languages can be that resonant sound. So you're like... Oh, I actually know this language. No, you don't. <laughs> but anyways, I'm doing, how am I doing, Sam? I'm doing pretty well. I mean, my city's still in lockdown. And I mean, I told you this uh, earlier. Is I got out of, like, I have classes in the morning. So I was like 10 minutes late to class, even though I literally just have to roll out of bed, put on my school uniform, turn on my computer, turn on the camera, and just start teaching. So yeah. it's been a very interesting um lifestyle change for me because literally i could just wake up roll out of bed and then just go right to classes it's like and i sent you that meme about um aizawa from uh, my hero academia saying, yes. oh, yeah. oh yeah i'm late for school oh wait i'm 30 years old oh no i'm a teacher kind of so i've been very much in that mood of, and then it turns out he was in class the whole time <laughs> yeah he was in class the whole time exactly paradox right Inception. My bedroom is my classroom. <laughs> but yeah, doing pretty well. Um, The city seems to be doing pretty well. There's not many new cases popping up. So we're That's what's called pushing the curb or whatever. Swashing the curb. So um, it should be about another month or so of like this heavy regulations. And like just started selling alcohol again this week. Ooh. And uh, regular like every day, like businesses are expanding their um, operating times. Even though like our very big super complex uh, shopping center is like kind of the equivalent of Walmart, basically closed down this whole weekend to sanitize the whole building and all their products. So I was very much uh, disappointed to find that out after spending two hours in traffic getting there. <laughs> Just to no. Closed for the weekend. Do they yeah. have their hours online? For instance, over here in the States, you you know, you can Google like a store and it will let you know the hours of operation. I mean, granted, some of it would change because of the holiday season, but is that something that you can do over there where you're at? Oh, yeah, for sure. But it's kind of like, why would you expect Walmart? It's not like Walmart has like, they don't let all their customers know, oh, we'll be closed for 48 hours. It's like, yeah, you just showed up to Walmart and they're like, no, you can't come in kind of thing it's like you wouldn't think to check their hours even though you know they have reduced hours but anyways that's yeah. how I'm doing pretty well how about you sam that's good i'm doing all right it's uh getting a little hectic for me with the holiday season and i've got some certification tests uh that i've told you about so a little antsy but with some of the but some of my anxiety has been placated with uh, the anime that I've been catching up on. And, oh, my goodness, dude, Akudama Drive and Jujutsu Kaisen. Ah, just really, really loving those guys, especially with how 
the, the opening is still the same, but they're changing just enough to reflect what's going on in the story. Uh, it's good. And I've also been watching uh, another uh, suggestion of yours, uh, The Great Pretender. And that's been a pretty fun ride, too. So, All right, cool. Yeah, get your good film anime. Catch up on the 2020 animes that you have missing because we do have a best of 2020 list coming up next episode. So that's going to be fun to talk about where we rank all of them. And looking at from last December goes back a pretty large time. And even though 2020 was a garbage year for the rest of the world, <laughs> the anime uh, industry kind of kept putting things out. I mean, even though there was heavy delays this year, but, you know, the quality of things didn't drop. Still has the same oh, exactly. exponential growth from year to year. So it was a pretty good year overall. But Anyways, that leads us into the news of 2020 for this week. So I have the news for us. Sam, you ready to hear it? Let's do the news. I am ready for it. All right. Sweet, sweet, sweet. As always, the time codes are going to be in the description. So we will have our uh, news of the week highlights right now. And then we talk about Star Driver, which I have many thoughts about, but we will (laughs) wait for that later. So this is a follow-up news story. Follow-up news story to last week, as Sam reported, is that there was a promotion for uh, My Hero Academia, and this week there was official word that the third My Hero Academia has been slated for release in summer 2021. So this came out in Shonen Jump uh, Weekly this week, or I guess it would be issue 52 this week. Okay. So that's um, the author, of course, uh, Hiroshi? Hiro? No, wait. Um, Hirokoshi. Hirokoshi, thank you. I was forgetting that middle kanji. Yeah, Hirokoshi uh, said that he'll be acting as supervisor of the script again, as well as providing the story background, as well as overseeing the project like he's did for the past two movies, Hero Risings and Two Heroes, or the first one was Two Heroes, and then the next one was Heroes Rising, which again, I think is very mixed order for what those for which those stories were about is that the second movie was actually about bakugo and midoriya being heroes and then heroes rising were actually anyways anyways yeah but the third movie has the promo picture of the visuals of bakugo midoriya and todoroki in black suits and they have the patch of the wha so a lot of that has been left up to speculation by the fans and people have been rabid about theories. But Sam, last week we talked a little bit after the podcast and I wanted you to share right now, what were your thoughts on it? My thoughts, uh, I touched a little bit on in the podcast, but as I saw the poster, it said the three musketeers and from where I'm at in the manga, the, uh, those three individuals, they're in a, position where they are uh, working with each other and it seemed interesting that the movie was going to take place around that region and i was hoping that they would delve into a little bit of french influence that hirokoshi has been using for instance one for all you know the whole musketeer theme and things like that and i was just uh, sending memes and jokes to my friend, just like, who are they going to try to meet? Is, are they trying to meet D'Artagnan? Because the promo was like, you know, the three musketeers is going to meet somebody or trying to find something. And so like, that was my little joke, but it would actually be kind of cool to see them run into a D'Artagnan like character, say how Gran Torino was for Deku and have this one character to sort of give them uh, advice and stuff like that that's outside of all might and that's outside of endeavor to give them a third perspective that they didn't really know and it would be interesting to see that character also get a handle you know know how to handle all three of their personalities especially bakugo right and horikoshi has been very centrally focused on just addressing how heroes have been you know peered and treated in japan so it's very interesting that a lot of the span the fan speculation is that the logo on their like black suits is uh h or would stand for world hero association so thinking that again like coming off of your idea that they might go to yeah. france go to other countries again the previous uh uh hero movies talked about like the scene in america and basically how 
Americans deal with the whole hero situation. So it's very interesting that I think that a lot of the <laughs> how rabbit the fan community is like they're putting out theories like they're going to be like Black Ops Group and Hatsumi, who is like the hero costume designer, yes. going to be like their Q, and they're like she's going to come along. It's very interesting that uh, the other movies were focused a little bit more on the class dynamic, but this might just yeah. be focused on these three. And I would say I appreciated the other movies for doing that because the way that the show was, especially in those times when the movies was out, they they tried to give everybody the spotlight because essentially, even though Deku is the focal point of the story, as the series goes on. The strength of the series is also in the supporting cast and how strong they are. And I would say that the movie, especially the second one, dealt very well in showing the growth of the class as a whole. And now as the series is going on, we're starting to see the heroes diverge a little bit. For instance, some of them are getting work studies and we see them uh, get to partner up with different characters in these work studies and seeing them have different dynamics with certain heroes and we're starting to splinter and focus on specific individuals uh, during specific instances for instance with the Yakuza arc where we focused on specific heroes who were dealing with that and we knew in tandem that other heroes were doing other work uh, studies as well but we were sort of following Deku and the heroes that were associated around his story around that time so it would just be it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they transition to that sort of mindset in the movie and I'm glad that Deku's finally getting an upgrade to his costume because it looked like he was trying to thrift shop and he did not have Macklemore style at all. Oh, that's so true. I mean, he, I mean, in the first season, he said like, oh, yeah, my mom designed this for me. And I'm like, dude, that's just Spider-Man spandex that she got from Goodwill. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, so this story is going to take place yeah, probably after uh, what you mentioned, Sand, about when uh, Todoroki Bakugo and um, Midoriya start uh, working together or at least, you know, um, building up on their team. Uh, yeah. story. but season five of course is opening with the class one and versus class a fight and that kind of arc so it's going to the movie again is going to be somewhere in that time period again happening in between uh the first core and the second core of season five okay. same thing with like past movies they've been set kind of in the middle of of the, of the uh or at the end of the first season and then at the middle of the third season. So hopefully not to ruin anybody to, again, to give the audience that doesn't actually follow the anime in earnest, I guess, not doing yeah. any surprises. There's definitely some surprises <laughs> that happen in season five where, you know, that will happen in season five. But anyways, that's I, the I, first I think... season. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Just before we go on, I think, uh, say what you were saying, you know, because it's hearkening to something that's a little bit further on, but because it's in between the uh, Class A versus Class B thing, I think what they're going to do is uh, they're going to, like, subtly hint at stuff uh, early on. For instance, with uh, Two Heroes Rising, they're hinting at stuff that we're going to see in the Class A versus Class B fight. Uh, so I, I think that's probably what the route they're going to go with. Like, it's going to be like a class A, but they're going to focus a little bit on uh, those three characters right there and try to lay gr groundwork for what's to come and not be so heavy handed with it. Yeah, that's fair to say. And it's interesting. And in, also in the fact that Horikoshi wasn't planning to make this third movie. He said that at the end of the second movie, because how the second movie ended and oh well you saw the movie as well yeah but the ending to the second movie was actually how his first draft of my hero academia was actually going to end oh and that's the way to say yeah he was saying that he used the earlier draft of how he so like he's already planned out the whole duration of the uh, manga series yeah. he was saying this was an earlier draft and he just worked it into the movie and that's why he didn't want to explore too many more ideas to like give more hints to 
how the long term of the manga is going to span uh, out. So, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So very interesting guy taking so much influence from, you know, Western hero tropes and, you know, putting it through the Japanese context. That's why I'm stick on to My Hero Academia for so long. But anyways, on to the second news story. We're delving a little bit into the manga world, but as always, the manga world kind of connects into the anime world. So I thought this story was at least enough. Everything's connected. Uh, yeah, it's connected in all sorts of ways. So leave your mind boggling for more. But anyways. The second news story is that the 66 Shogo, oh sorry, Shogaku Ken, the manga award ceremony, has revealed its nominees for best manga of 2020. So, uh, again, there's many boards, there's a lot of award bodies out there for best mangas, but this one is interesting enough because it has a good track record of turning series or manga series into animes. So, uh, okay. the 2019 winner, one of the categories, was. Uh, Kaguya-sama Love is War, which, again, was on one of my top tens for the year of 2019. So, very good manga series. But their categories are Best Children's Manga, Best Shonen Manga, Best Shoujo Manga, and Best General Manga. So, very short award ceremony, very short, you know, uh, selection base. They basically have three nominees per category. So, out of the four categories, they have just 12 nominees in general. But Last year, again, like I said, was Kaguya-sama for Best yeah. Shoujo. So they have a good, at least a good enough track record to turn, you know, manga series or at least give, you know, enough popularity or credit to a series and then push that into the production of its anime. And the reason I brought it up now is because right now in the running for nominees, there is um, the, uh, what is that? That's Master uh, Tagaki-san teaser the teaser or mass teasing master um ta tagaki. tagaki oh the one with those little kids with the round heads yeah thank you yeah yeah big forehead girl and yeah uh, kid dude yes yeah, so. how old were they supposed to be because they look like they were elementary but i think they're they supposed to be elementary. like mid middle school or something uh, uh they're in their last year of like elementary school so like Okay. They're like they're 11 or 12. But anyways, yeah, so that already has a uh, anime series right now. But again, it's giving this award credit for pushing a lot of series through their, you know, their perceived value when they yeah. win awards. I wanted to bring that up. And also the one highlight is Chainsaw Man, which has been <laughs> getting a lot of, you know, uh, recognition and popularity over the last year, given its publication at the end of last year. So, have you heard of Chainsaw Man, Sam? Yes, actually, actually, after the last few times that you had mentioned it, that I have been seeing it in the manga apps that I've been using, and I've been trying to read a little bit of it, and it's pretty interesting. It's fairly straightforward, and I can see why it's gotten as popular as it has. It's a very, it's very, very new. I would say there's only maybe 98 chapters, probably uh, about to go to their uh, first 100 chapters. It's, so there's not not a lot to it, but it's fairly interesting what they're trying to do with it. Uh, what about you? What, what's your exposure to Chainsaw Man? Uh, it's just one of those, again, I try to keep up with all the showing jump publications and this is just one that caught my eye given how much i hate violence and gore in mangas is that the image of like the first cover of uh chainsaw man is again this dude has basically the ability to transform into a chainsaw man and he has like a chainsaw sticking out of his head and he has chainsaws chainsaws along his arms it's very grotesque and body image horror throughout the series and i was just fascinated because even though i hate looking at these things you really i really appreciate the art and detail <laughs> that it goes into so i don't mind horrifying myself and give me bad nightmares if i'm able to appreciate good art but, like i can tolerate this nightmare fuel because i know the story is going to be good <laughs> <laughs> right exactly so i do wanted to highlight this because this feels like the final push that a lot of people have been talking yeah, about that it needed to get the anime. Right. And a good rule of thumb is that it takes two years of publication to build up the circulation numbers, to build up the 
um, the financing base for a, a manga to actually transition into an anime. And of course, a year after that point for that manga to actually be, you know, in full publication, not full publication, full production at an anime studio. So looking right now, if this Chainsaw Man does win this award, we're probably looking at a Chainsaw anime in like the next two years, within the next two years. Oh, no, I believe it. The way the art style and the story itself, it seems like it can definitely transition very well into anime form. I will say for those who want to know a little bit about the aesthetic, if you can remember the chainsaw weapon from Soul Eater, just think about that, but mixed in with Wolverine in the sense that every time he uses his powers to get the blades out of his skin – he ends up losing blood, like much like with Wolverine. Without his healing factor, every time he uses his blades, he is continually bleeding. So it's a little bit like that, where when he uses his powers, it's sort of on a time limit because he would bleed out and he would pass out if he uses it for so long. And the story beha uh, behind how he got this ability to transform and his backstory, it just frames everything a bit differently. So it, it, is, it is pretty interesting. Right. And the only thing that would be keeping it from, you know, getting its final push into anime production is just that it would have to be R-rated. And we did have earlier this year Gleipner. Yes. Remember that, Tim? I remember yeah, body horror and the um, rated R status and mature theme. So it wouldn't be, even though it's in Shonen Jump, it's definitely not a for kids property, especially <laughs> if it gets animated where, you know, those um, they, those indicators of violence get just turned up way up. And then it's really hard to, again, sell that to kids. But it's very interesting. So I just wanted to bring that to the light and see where that tracks from here on out. So our last news story. Uh, for the day is that Funimation debuts One Piece on Blu-ray for the first time. And what? I thought it was a, yeah. <laughs> Again, I always try to make my last news story just for you, Sam. Anyways. Uh, yeah, so uh, Funimation care. has the licensing right to uh, One Piece and that the season 11, which is aka known as Voyager 1, which are episode 600 29 through 641 will be released on blu-ray no uh date of release right now but yeah this is the first time that a season of one piece has been released on blu-ray so sam i want to kind of get your insight to why you think season 11 is worthwhile to make into blu-ray since funimation has made it their business model to just release one piece on dvd why do you think uh season 11 demands a Blu-ray release, I guess, is my question. Let me see real quick. I'm just trying to remember what happened in season 11. There were so many seasons. It's, I would say it's been a long time coming. They should have been had a Blu-ray because I feel that with Blu-ray, you can get higher quality and you can also put more episodes on there as well. Yeah, but to be fair, I mean, Funimation does release all their One Piece movies yeah. on Blu-ray. So it's not that it's a new thing. It's just a new thing for them to actually release a full season on Blu-ray. Mm -hmm. So they have all the films, So, which I forget how many One Piece films there are right now, but they also do the TV specials on Blu-ray as well. So it's just a new story for... It doesn't feel like scraping the barrel. It just seems like a very odd thing to announce right now, especially with no release date. Yeah. <laughs> so even though we're at the end of the year, you think it would come out with, Oh, bye for Christmas. But no, like no release date. And it's going to come with the English sub and dub as well as a voice acting, the voice acting panel that happened on uh, Funimation Con 2020 of like the voice actors, American voice actors, not American, English voice actors of the series yeah. to talk about, you know, everything that went into the production of their recordings. So it's just really interesting that. Everything else around this Blu-ray release, like Season 10, as well as, which is AKA Voyager 3, as well as Voyager 4, have been released on DVD, but Season 11 is just coming out on Blu-ray, so I want to know why. 
Uh, that, that was one thing that I was trying to look at right now to see where, because uh, you said it was uh, episode 600. Yeah. 629 through 641. And it seems like that was a little bit, it, se- it seems like that's around the dress, uh, the dress Rosa arc. I'm trying to see if it's right before or if it's during, uh, d- uh when, because you told me that you were in and out of One Piece for some time. Do you have you read any of the Dressrosa uh, <laughs> art or no? Have I read any of it? No, but I've seen all the episodes of Dressrosa, like from the Coliseum battles to the end of the Domingo, 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 Dom Domingo fight with Luffy. So I'm very familiar with that, and I and that does make sense because that was a another turning point for one piece i guess in the consciousness of i mean you know non one piece fans is like the hype around uh luffy taking down don flamingo who's kind of been the somewhat building villain for the past i guess a couple of hundred episodes of one piece and then now that that was kind of the offset of everything that's going down with the four yokais i guess i'm saying the right names yonko yonko (laughs) yeah so again i think if that is like if the if this is the time period of that, it does make sense now. Is that this would make me definitely want to buy this in Blu-ray if that is the uh, Dross Drossrosa yeah, Rosa because it seems like it's just the beginning. And Dressrosa it was pretty fun for me. I uh, prefer the arc afterwards, which is whole cake. But you can't really no. I think it was. Um, let me let me see. No, after Dressrosa was Zhao, and then you go to Whole Cake. So it's definitely the building blocks for moving forward. And with the conflict with Doflamingo, as you said, that's when Luffy really starts to delve with the uh, Yonko because Doflamingo, he's working for uh, he, he's working for Kaido. And when we were first exposed him, I, th- I think Dressrosa is the payoff for Punk Hazard, a little bit like how with Alabasta, you were exposed to Crocodile back in Drum Island or a little bit before they run into Chopper because you see that Crocodile, he had this whole network of organized crime all over in the East Blue, or no, not in the East Blue, but in the area of the uh, in the area of the Grand Line that the crew was a part of, and then with Doflamingo, I'd say it parallels that a little bit because he's making weapons for Kaido, and we're exposed to that in Punk Hazard, which is right after Fishman Island, so. A little bit after the time skip, like they're already dealing with the influence of the Zyanko and then the influence of this. I'm trying to remember uh, this warlord of the sea, right? Who has just as big as reach as Crocodile, and now they're going into the heart of Doflamingo's operation, and then. After the conflict is resolved there, that makes enough waves to bring Kaido into the situation. So it's definitely a natural progression uh, that's uh, going to happen, or at least that's okay, so, uh, worth yeah, noting. Not much, of a, not much of a reason other than that's a high point for One Piece to kind of switch the gears if they actually do make this more of a... Uh, standard practice of making you know blu-rays of their seasons again mm-hmm. not much of one piece is too like this um not disheartening but again it's only the number again what most non one piece fans say oh why do i need to oh yeah it's just so much, so of, much work of one piece when they've probably digested so much more anime outside of one piece and it's just like well i don't want to read the odyssey but you know it's the odyssey so <laughs> This is a very good way if they if you're giving a reason for why to make Blu-rays now is to you know welcome more people into the One Piece fandom. I don't know if One Piece oh, fans definitely. have an actual name for themselves, but you know One Piece fandoms, um, <laughs> all hats, I guess. But yeah, it so that's be cool if they call themselves crew members or something. Yeah, that's the end of the news for this week, Sam. So 
we have a anime of Mecca, and I would say that this is definitely a choice made by you, and <laughs> yes, it, to me, a knockoff version of Darling in the Franks, which is a knockoff version of Girl Lagan. So, <laughs> you know why you picked this and made me suffer? <laughs> Come on, Jay. It was only three episodes, but um, I, I, would say, I would say that it, it was interesting to me because, of course, it was a mecca, so I had to look into it, and it had a movie afterwards, so it made me think, it's like, oh, this series became as popular as it has uh, to get to garner movies, so this must be something. I mean, honestly, when... I was looking for movies for us to watch. I saw Star Driver, and then I saw that it was a mecca. And when I realized that there was a series prior to it, it made me want to go back and at least get exposure to the anime. When this, did you hear about this anime series before now, Jay? Or is this the first time hearing it or being exposed to it like I am? Oh, no, I've heard about it before, given the unique design of its uh, main mecha in the series. And I did hear about the movie, but, and you know, of course, it turns out that the movie actually isn't in the movie. It's just a compilation, mm, that word, why am I having trouble saying this word? It's a compilation? Yeah, compilation movie. So it's uh, a series of the just, it's the actual Star Driver anime just, you know, broken up in a way to make it a full-length movie runtime so you know taking out all the breaks and making sure the pausing flows a little bit more like a movie would so yeah it's a compilation movie not an actual film uh i'm, I'm, I'm glad that you at least said that because girl Logan, they did that for their first film that they did i think they did that for their second one too uh because they've had three movies i want to say they did that for the first two but the third movie was a bit different and I'm not sure. I guess, like like you said, they it's done to make the series more digestible, but it I, I'm not a big fan of those types of movies because if it's just a rehash of the series, I can see them, and I've seen this in other movies too, where they essentially just reuse uh, same an- animation. It's not that like they probably clean it up a little bit for the movie but it's nothing that really adds to the series and because it's a retelling and it's done within the time frame of a movie it feels rushed a lot but that, to give a little bit of background of the show star driver right so that, that way we can then talk about it. It takes Star Driver takes place in a fictional island known as Southern Cross Isle, and we see a boy named Takto get washed up ashore, and he is saved by I'm trying to remember her name. Da, 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 da. Uh, don't, I don't have. Uh, what was it? Waka. Yeah, Waka. Yeah, Wako and her boyfriend, I forgot his name, but there are uh, students that are attending the school as well that he had just transferred to. And while they're there at the island, he finds out that there is a conspiracy by a group of the islanders who are trying to use these giant mechas known as psi bodies and essentially release them to where they can sell them off as war machines to other countries to uh, garner their rich uh, to to make it rich and make it big however the psi bodies they are locked in this dimension that are sealed off by these shrine maidens and they have to break each of these seals each of the four seals so that they can bring the psi bodies into their normal reality and takudo has the ability to connect to this dimension whenever they hop into it and he finds it upon himself to prevent them from breaking these seals because 
I'm not entirely sure. They didn't really explain it, but it seems as though for them to break the seal of a shrine maiden, they essentially have to harm her in that alternate reality dimension. And these are actual people. For instance, uh, Wako is one of these shrine maidens, and they abduct her, and they try to break her seal. And because Takuto is essentially indebted to her for saving his life, he does his earnest to uh, protect her. And when he arrives, they call him the Ginga Bishonen, which is essentially the galactic pretty boy. <laughs> they hadn't really explained that. I think they'll do that later on in the series. And the group that he's going against, they're known as the Glittering Crux Brigade. And essentially, it is about the Brigade Gate's influence in the school and their schemes to try to release the Psy bodies from their alternative reality prison and uh, Takuto's efforts to ensure that the Shrine Maidens are kept safe. So, I uh, what, what were your... You, you said that you had plenty of thoughts, Jay. So, uh, what, what would you like to say about what you've seen? Yeah, so there is major Beyblade Yu-Gi-Oh hair going on in the show. <laughs> yes. <For> one... <laughs> There is there is so much colorful hair, and it's funny that they this organization has they basically meet in secret, and they're wearing masks like this masquerade mask. Yes, and they stand out because all their hair, all their hair is like uniquely colored to them that you see at in the school during the day. So you actually know who are all the members. So it's not even a surprise about who all the evil people in the show are, even though they have this whole underground secret meeting between them. And it's not even that it's like a lot of it is just so boring. <laughs> in these first three episodes, nothing happens. Nothing happens in these first three episodes of value. And it's Monster of the Week. Again, it's a mecha. So, you know, yeah. you have battles between guys approaching um, the main MC and him going into his mecha to do battle, which does have a fantastic transformation scene that I've never seen before, that he goes full magical girl. Yes, so make it. Well, no, actually, I've seen it in another um, uh, mecha series. Like, um, I forgot what it's called, but I think it's, uh, Aquarial, Aquarion Evil. But anyways, you know, he yeah. goes full magical girl, but when he gets out of his magical girl transformation, he's in like these uh, French Renaissance clothes, which I thought was a really great touch because there's so much flamboyancy with the MC that I'm just surprised about how that kind of just passed through the whole meat grinder that is the anime uh, process. It's, even in the... Um, the opening of the show, like his stick figure body is so kind of like, it looks unnatural and unhealthy. It's, it's, very, it's a good, it's a good opening, good music, good imagery, good visuals. Um, not much of a character piece for introducing anyone outside of our MC, but yeah, I like it a lot for the mech part of it. Cause the design is very darling in the Franks of what I said before is that, uh, the mech in this is Torban or Torban. And it basically has like a skirt. It has high heel, like platform boots, very spindly legs and arms, kind of like a mantis. It has a crown and it has the French um, D'Artagnan kind of feather in the cap uh, kind of uh, headdress to it, as well as the pilot you can see in like a spherical ball. Yeah. inside the rest of the mech and again like the the design to the mech is just very beautiful and elegant and it's like very unique so that's why I've, what originally caught my attention to it but you know again not being the biggest mecha fan i was like nah i like it but i'm not going to dedicate any time toward it for that reason and i'm glad i didn't before so 
Uh, that's one of my thoughts about it. But damn, you tell me something about you, what you think of it. <laughs> well, I will say, like, it was just interesting. I, I, I think you sort of planned for this when you had mentioned the My Hero Academia movie, The, the Three Musketeers, because as you've said before, we've the, the French Renaissance, it's the aesthetic for the costumes and the robot designs. They are very heavily influenced in French. And even the phrase that they say to engage or to get inside of the mechs, approvoy, or appro, it looks uh, the way that's uh, spelled. It looks like it's approvisor. It's French for tame. So, uh, not only that, but um, it, it, like you said, the the clothes and I, I was actually uh, it was actually kind of surprising because. There's a sword fight that takes place, and with the heavy French influences, you would think that the main character would change to a fencing stance. But because he's a brawler, he, even though he looks elegant in his body and his frame, and uh, the way that his mech moves is similar to that, he opts not to use that uh fighting style oh i would say that when i was watching this on crunchyroll uh, a commercial had played for a shake weight from 10 years ago so i had a little bit of an experience a little bit of a flashback of what it was like to watch it 10 years ago um <laughs> i would say that, that that was just a little bit funny but i would say one thing that I really like about the show too is a lot of the callbacks and a lot of the references to mecha shows and super sentai shows in the past because as we as I mentioned uh the and oh no as you mentioned with the group that he's going against everybody's in masks everyone's in costumes and it felt very much like the bad guys that you would see in the older Super Sentai shows or the older Kamen Rider shows where everybody sort of looks like they have like the uh, putty costumes where it's all like a onesie and they'll have a mask on their face. Even though everybody knows their identity, they still have it to try to claim whatever anonymity that they have. But there, there it seems as though like there is more purpose to the mask, which – I think the series may go into a little bit later, but uh, another callback that they did is in the bumps where they play before the commercials, they say the name of the show much like how Gunbuster did their bumps, where it was Gunbuster. This one it was like Star Driver. It was just in the very same format. I think that was a nice callback and a nice reference and. I enjoyed the first three episodes. It showed, I guess because I was just reading a little bit too into it, because they did show that in the first episode, they did break one of the seals. And the episodes afterwards, they were sort of playing on what happens after the seals are broken. For instance, there's this one character. She has these powers a little bit similar to Poison Ivy to where she, when she kisses you, she essentially has you under hypnotic control and gets you to do her bidding. She uh, is and she's infatuated with the boyfriend of uh, Wako. And so she hypnotized this one guy to kidnap her so that she can get Waka out of the way so that she can pursue the boyfriend essentially. So when, when, when you're not paying attention to the, to the show and you're not a big mecha fan, you're not going to pay attention to, to the, stuff like that. It's like, Oh, she uh, was just uh, kidnapped just because, you know, but I sort of liked that interpersonal uh, thing that that was going on and it showed that the more seals that are broken the more abilities that the brigade can have outside of the realm and so it seemed like that uh, was uh, it, that, that was pretty interesting and I, I would look forward to see what other types of uh, abilities uh, would be used and what they would try to do to uh, break all the other seals uh, for the shrine maidens all right, cool. Yeah, uh, 
there was an interesting dynamic between the three main leads of the show. Again, they yeah. take up the whole ED of the uh, series, and like it's just them palling around, you know, doing you know high schooler things. And it's interesting that uh, it's a situation where they're not boyfriend and girlfriend; they're engaged between Waco and the other character. Who again, I'm not really invested enough to remember his name. <laughs> Um, it's really interesting that, I mean, don't want to talk about subtext too much, but it's yeah. very interesting that they're in this relationship, they're engaged, but even in the first episode, he's very much up front with the MC about saying, oh, well, she has, she likes you and, uh, she has an interest in you for, you know, for obvious reasons that he's the MC of the story. Yeah. And I like how offhands. Or I guess not even progressive. It's just that he says this very beautiful line about, uh, you know, very much speaking to um, old time or traditional Japanese cultures of arranged marriages is that you should be free to love whoever you want. And not to get into anything uh, subtextual about that, but it very much seems like the dude's gay. And I was very interested to see if, if I'm going to pursue anything past these three episodes to see if that actually uh realizes itself as anything because he's very cool he's very he's like he's into judo even though his complexion and his character design reminds me of the weird vampire dude from uh, blue exorcist and that vampire is definitely gay um so <laughs> it's very interesting along the dynamic that's set up between those three and even though it's interesting like the girl is so bland her only character trait is that she's hungry all the time i guess yes because <laughs> it in all three episodes there's a moment when her stomach rumbles <laughs> and it's like it's a whole thing of oh she's hungry or oh you're not really feeling yourself if you're not eating i'm like okay is that does eating make for a character trait now and even in the first three episodes again they don't really establish anything about the characters they understand that the yeah. mc has been somewhat sent to this island under the directions of their grandfather and oh that was to, one thing that i love about the mc i'm sorry c continue okay. I, I, oh I, yeah I'll, just that. that yeah the mc off right bat is like engaging interesting like how he speaks is very unique again like that is a good positive presentation of a character but it's also that everyone around him doesn't really get any time to shine or any depth to them Again, the main love interest already falls in love with him. Like the moment she resurrects him, essentially, on the first episode or in the first scene. So it's like nothing was earned in their relationship yet. And, you know, it's a little off-putting again. But that's Mecca. <laughs> that's the Mecca genre. <laughs> so it's like undeserved love already off the bat. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't think it's that because she resuscitated him with mouth to mouth. And a little bit like what you were saying, like the fiance, I, I, like looking back on it, I guess he was, uh, I, I guess he does swing for the other um, team because he was sort of playing uh, jokes with her saying, hey, Takuto, do you think, like, have you gotten your first kiss yet? And he was like, no, I haven't. And he's like, oh, do you, do you consider mouth to mouth, you know, kissing, right? Just trying to poke fun at uh, Wako. And you know, trying to, trying to force something there. And I guess, you know, just the fact that, you know, he didn't know her from anything and he decided to step in to help her out when uh, the brigade was trying to break her seal. I guess that's when the feelings started getting more. But as you said, there was little personality with her. The only thing that we know is that she's truly herself when she's hungry and that's when she's most happy which is okay, I guess. But like, as you said before, that's not much of a character trait. That's just a quirk, if anything. Right. Yeah. So yeah, again, like, again, like nothing much happens in these first three episodes, like the <laughs> first episode. Yeah. She gets kidnapped. We get the activation of the mech dude gets defeated in the second episode. They open up like with a council meeting. So they do do all the hallmarks of what a, good three episode test checks for so like in yeah. the second episode we actually do get a understanding of how the world is going to work does that 
they're going to keep sending lackeys after the galactic pretty boy and then that's going to be like basically a monster of the week setup which again like you've explained is that as soon as they break seals is that the this like evil council student council body essentially basically get increased power so there does add a little bit of a unique dynamic is that as they succeed with their plan they do get more powerful so they get technically closer to defeating the pretty boy but everything else is that this everything is also oddly fantastical in a unreal way which is odd to say for anime but it's like it's like everyone talks in this very non-human kind of way and i caught that with in the second episode again there's like the scene of you know our main c is sitting next to the window of course and then yes. the poison ivy girl no no it's not poison ivy girl but it's a green-headed girl and she's sitting behind him and she's making out with her husband who's on the other side of oh the no 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 that wasn't her husband that was some random classmate oh thank you yeah total yeah. stranger he says total stranger yeah yeah and i'm like yeah this is totally not a high school so <laughs> you know you look at animes and they kind of yes. capture somewhat of a high school experience but everything is so whimsical it's so laid back i mean they know that there's an evil council <laughs> so it's kind of like the whole scott pilgrim evil ex-boyfriend kind of thing is like yes Pretty we're much. operating in the real world but also there's super villains here so <laughs> it feels very mixed um mixed genres so i'm off put by that a little bit but yeah. not enough so that you know it fails the three episode test i guess but it definitely establishes itself well enough in the way of this is not something I'm going to enjoy. So that's why I'm very sus of it. But you enjoyed it, Sam. <laughs> well, yeah, I would say – so the reason why it's sus for you is because of the mixed bag and it's unfast and to unfantastical – no, it's fantastical in an unfantastical way. And and I, I, I can I can see why, why, why it's like that. The main – Main reason why I'm expectant is because of the main character. Uh, as you said, he's a great main character. I love how <laughs> it's funny. He does most of his stuff like any other great character who is you know, quote unquote great character who was raised by their grandfather to do what his grandfather said. And it, it's uh, like anything that he does, he always sort of validates what he's doing by a quote from his great grandfather. It's like it's it's um, like when he went to go and break through the chain link fence. Everybody told him not to go in that area, but his grandfather says like it's a time of youth. Go and do the things that you're not supposed to do. And you know he he's saying that to himself as he's breaking the rules and is like okay, <laughs> you know just 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 a fun upbeat character and. It seemed like there was also some stuff going on with his lineage and his parents that uh, they've touched on. I don't know if they're going to uh, do much about. And I'm, I'm just uh, interested to see how the conflict plays out, to see uh, what uh, kind of more powers that they can get by breaking more seals and what he would have to do in order to prevent – uh, all blown chaos uh, to go through the roof. So I'm a little bit expected uh, in the series. Like it is going to be lambastic, and it, it is some people will act or not act like people, but I, I think it would be a fun ride. Yeah, that's fair to say. I think I'm more on the side of now that again we're reviewing this and after its 10 year anniversary. I mean, it premiered back yeah. in October 2010, and that. We have Darling in the Franks that followed up to this. I'm like, this is just a less less interesting Darling in the Franks. And I'm like, oh, okay, I kind of like Darling in the Franks more now. But anyway, <laughs> it came around to this. Is like it feels very much a just a bargain brand version of, you know, Darling in the Franks. And I'm just very surprised that if Darling in the Franks didn't pull that third act kind of twist i was like this is kind of the direction uh darling and the franks could have went is that it's just something to enjoy again again i'm not again yeah. passing it i kind of went into into this thinking 
oh, this is definitely going to be better than Gundam Unicorn. And I was sorely mistaken about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Gundam Unicorn blows us out of the water. And now I know why that no one talks about Star Driver like how they talk about Gundam Unicorn. But it's really interesting that it did demand, again, a movie release, the compilation movie in 2013. Yeah. As it had a manga series co-released with its anime premiere. Oh, so it did? Manga- I, yeah, I, yeah. I saw that it was a anime original, but I didn't know that they had a manga that was released uh, from it as well. That's interesting. Yeah, it is an original anime, but the the manga was co-released with it, so it was being drawn. Oh, up in tandem. Okay. In tandem, thank you. That's the word. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tandem, <laughs> that word. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so it's uh, three volumes, 25 chapters, so very easy to read. And I'm glad that you mentioned that you found it on uh, – you watched this on Crunchyroll, right, Sam? Yes, it was either Crunchyroll or Verve. Uh, yeah, okay. So yeah. I did not know about that. So I watched it on Hulu Japan. <laughs> so it's very interesting that it wasn't available on Hulu. Yeah, it wasn't really. It was funny that it wasn't available on Hulu like US. It was available on yeah. uh, Hulu Japan. So yeah, it's available on Crunchyroll, Hulu Japan, and Verb, as well as Funimation Now, which is the course the Funimation uh, service. So. Uh, it's your anime, Sam. So you want to say anything before we actually wrap up the episode? Oh, uh, no, real quick. Yeah. Uh, I will say one other thing that, uh, I liked about it too, was in the beginning, like the first few episodes, the background music, it felt very reminiscent of Final Fantasy seven. And because like I, I had just played that game, I guess that's another reason why I liked it as well. So, uh, the music accompaniment in the beginning, it, it, it was, it was fairly good. But aside from that, uh, you know, uh, just like uh, any any other good quote, uh, well, any other episode should uh, end it off with a quote. When you want to, when what you want to do and ought to do are one and the same, you can hear the world speaking to you. And Jay, I think we shouldn't keep the world waiting. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Weebs on the Weekends podcast. We have been your part-time Weeb hosts, Jay Johnson and Sam Martinez. Have a beautiful weekend, and we'll see you next time, our fellow weebs.